Amen. What a statement. What a song. What a Savior. Pastor's away on vacation this week, and he asked me to preach this morning, and I thank him for the opportunity. I thank the Lord for the privilege to be able to share his word this morning. I've, I've got some encouragement that I've brought with me today that I want to share with you. I believe that every time God's word is opened, it can radically change our lives. We can come in with one mindset and walk out with another. How many of you have been touched by the hand of God when you thought life was cruel and hard and the anxieties and the pains had set in your life and yet somewhere in the shadows, Joe Arthur says, somewhere in the shadows of your storm-tossed sea on that shoreline, Jesus is waiting. It's a good thing to be able to call on the name of the Lord this morning as a child of God. As a child of God, I can't say that I've never heard in life. I can't say that I haven't experienced pain since I've trusted Him as my Savior. But I can say He's always been there every step of the way. And when I didn't understand it, when I couldn't figure it out, and when I couldn't cope with it, Jesus always made a way in my life. And I know because you're here today, you believe the same thing, and you know the same thing to be true as a testimony to His grace. It's a great privilege this morning to be here. I got a passage of Scripture that I love in the Word of God. My mind goes to it oftentimes. Um, it's in Psalms chapter 40. And as I begin to read this, I, I want you to be aware of um, a couple of situations today that we need to be praying for. Uh, my brother's son is in the hospital in Panama City, had an accident and has a brain injury and um, at the moment has several brain bleeds and um, a serious fracture of the skull. And um, I'd ask you to pray for him. His name is Hunter, Hunter Hutchins. Jonathan sits up in the balcony over on this side. Uh, also, Michelle Pickles, it'd be good if we could take a moment and pray for her this morning when we pray. Ask God to touch these two individuals um, as we speak this morning. I'm, I'm thankful that the Lord doesn't always need an audible prayer for someone else's need. Uh, sometimes we can be like Hannah and just come to the altar and there's no voice that comes from our vocal cords, just our lips move, and that thought goes through our mind, God, I need a touch. And in Hannah's case, God moved on that prayer that was never heard by anyone and gave her a child named Samuel who radically changed the world. And I believe God's blessings are like that, and if occasionally we would just at least think the prayer, at least try to mutter and come up with the words to pray when things don't make sense and God can move on our behalf. And answer those things. In Psalms chapter 40 and verse number 1, the Bible says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. There's not a child of God in this room. There's not a child of God on this planet this morning that doesn't stop and pray, and God doesn't hear that cry regardless of where we're at in our circumstances and our situations. God does not have an ear that's deaf to our cry no more than you have one that's deaf to one of your children when they cry out to us. God is good and he hears our cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet, say it with me, 
upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. What an amazing passage of Scripture. That passage of Scripture tells me that others are watching me when I'm in my pits of life. That passage tells me that I have a testimony because of that pit in my life. And that passage tells me that others can benefit from my pit in life. And that passage tells me that I can overcome my pit in life. Isn't every passage in God's word like that? If we will open our heart and our mind, that encouragement is like a nut in a shell that just needs to be cracked and opened up, and then you can enjoy the fruit of that. With just a little bit of work, we can dig in the soil of God's word and pull out stuff that can help and change our lives. Verse number four of that passage says, Blessed is the man that maketh his Lord, maketh the Lord his trust. And then verse number five says, Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. You want to know how blessed we are today? Walk outside on a clear night and count the stars and attach one blessing to each of those stars. You'll run out of stars before you run out of the blessings of God in our lives. He's that good to us if we will just acknowledge it and take a moment. Let's pray this morning and ask the Lord to bless our thoughts. Lord, we come to you this morning thankful for your word that is so full of fruit that's ready and ripe to be picked, ready to nourish our bodies with strength that we don't have, Lord. Thank you that you're always there with an open ear. Thank you, God, that you're so good to us. We ask that you would use this word this morning to penetrate our hearts, our minds, our soul. Cut us to the marrow, Lord. Cut us where we need to be cut, Lord. Heal us where we need to be healed. Encourage us, Lord. Challenge us, convict us, change us, Lord. Use us when we walk out of this place today because of the word that you shared with our hearts this morning. We do ask that you would touch Hunter this morning in the hospital right where he lays, Lord. I pray that you'll give him healing. I pray that you'll give the family grace and mercy and strength and endurance, everything they need in the coming days and weeks and months, Lord. I pray for Michelle Pickles that you'll touch her right where she is. Bless the whole family, Lord, with strength and endurance, Lord. I pray that you'll give and heal as only you can. We love you. We praise you and we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Just imagine for a moment that you're in a race and you're the lead car. You have fought your way through the pack and now you're finally the lap leader. You're winning the race. Everything is going your way. You're in front of the pack. Your car has never ran better and you feel that this is your race to win. Lap after lap after lap, everything is working perfectly. When all of a sudden over your radio, you hear the crew chief and he calls your name and says, 
we are going to need to make a pit stop. Pit stops are never comfortable. They're never convenient. They're never in the right place at the right time. And for the driver, they can scare you to death because they take you from the lead and they put you in the, in the back of the pack for just a little while. Isn't that the way that life is? Life comes at us sometimes and, and we got everything under the control until that pit stop. And for the short term, that'll take you out of the lead and it'll push you to the back of the pack. But if you've ever watched a race, late in the race, because of that faith in that crew chief and that driver stopping, it pays off toward the end of the race because he has new tires, he has fresh fuel, he had some frame adjustments, and they give him what he needs to finish the race strong and oftentimes win the race. But the race of life, you lead and you follow and you're in front and you're in the back. It's, it's an ever-changing thing that occurs with us in life. Pit stop Christians is what I call us sometimes. It's, it's certainly a picture of my life. And that's what you and I are, going through the life, sometimes with the race in the bag. Everything's going well with your job. Everything's going well with our marriage. Our family is experiencing health, and everybody feels good. Life is good. We're finally beginning to save some money and see the light at the end of that tunnel. We fought hard to get here when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, our world seems to come to a screeching halt. Because we've been called into the pit. Look around you this morning. You may not know it. We don't know every circumstance in this building. But the ones I do know of, I know there are Christians sitting in this room that are in that pit row right now. Their life has come to a screeching halt. And God's doing a work in them to help finish strong a little bit later on. I'm not talking about fellow believers who God has allowed to enter adversity in their lives for no reason. God is working in their lives to use them for a future purpose. We see it all the time in church, brothers and sisters in Christ who are cruising along and it seems like they're in the prime of their life only to be called out and singled out and pulled into the pit. You ever ask, why has this happened, God? Everybody in the room has probably said, why God? I had to come to a point in my life when I couldn't answer that question and no one else could answer it for me. And I, I make it a habit of not trying to answer the question when somebody's going through a time of life that can't be explained. I've learned to make it a habit of just put my arm around them and cry with them for a few moments and let the Spirit of the Lord work through my Helping love them through it rather than to try to come up with some hollow words that don't make sense. But I had to come to the conclusion one time that even Jesus on the cross, hung between heaven and earth, said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And if you have not been there, I pray God you never are there. But the truth is, most every child of God is going to be in a stretch of life when everything's going well and you're called into the pit. And we look up to heaven and we say, God, why? Sometimes time has to work its way in circumstances that only God knows until he reveals the why in our life. How will I ever get back to where I was? 
Will life ever be the same for me? How can this one work out, God, for your glory and for my good? God, I don't understand how this pit is supposed to propel me. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse number 12 says, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick. Sometimes there's those periods of time in our life where we had hopes and dreams and ambitions and desires and we had it all laid out and figured out. And yet everything came to a screeching halt and now we don't have it all figured out and don't have an answer to make it go away. And that's what I love about the back half of this verse. It's possible for the child of God to be heart sick. It's possible for the child of God to be emotionally sick. It's possible for the child of God to be distraught and not have the answers. But the back half of this verse says, But when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. If I can't say anything else, I can say this this morning. I have faced adversity. And those of you in here that have faced adversity, you will have to honestly say, it seems like this one cannot end. This one will not end well. This one has a bad ending. But somehow God made a way and it did not end bad. And he worked in the shadows and he brought you and I through that with flying colors. And that's the bridge for us to look back to and say, thank you, God, as a testimony to your grace. Because I didn't have the faith. Somebody else's faith worked and got me through that one because it wasn't mine. That's where each of us are so important in the trials of life to be praying for one another. I want to look, the life, I want to look at the lives of two men in Jeremiah chapter 38. If you're going to turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 38, we're going to be here this morning. There's two men here that were determined to go on with life even in the face of extreme difficulty. In Jeremiah chapter 38, if you're familiar with the story, you've probably got this chapter marked up pretty good. Jeremiah found himself in a pit. But there's another man in Jeremiah chapter 38 that I want to draw attention to this morning that was in his own pit. There's a man named Abedmelech. And I want to draw our attention to him and gain some strength from him for just a few minutes this morning. I appreciate the opportunity every time I get to speak up here. I feel like I have the privilege as not being the pastor of the church that I can come in and be an encouragement to you. And I never feel the need to come in here and beat up or badger anybody. I don't have to come in here and preach God's word and draw everybody to conviction. As a speaker that gets to speak occasionally... God's given me the desire to encourage as we go through this life. And that's all I want to do this morning is share with you some encouragement that I've gained from this man at Bedmanlech. Jeremiah finds himself in one of these horrible pits. Jeremiah had prophesied that the city was going to be destroyed by Babylon's army. And it so upset the princes of that city that they put Jeremiah in a pit. It's found in verse number 6. They took Jeremiah. Listen to that word. They cast him into the dungeon. They were so mad and so upset with Jeremiah that they cast him in the dungeon of Micaiah, the son of Hamelech. 
And this dungeon was in the court of the prison. They let down Jeremiah with cords, and in the dungeon, there was no water but mire. And Jeremiah sunk in the mire. One thing we know about pits, if you've ever been in one, pits are very painful times. It's painful when God, for His reasons only known to Him, pit us as Christians. There's pain in that pit that you feel like only you know that no one else understands. We would say like Jeremiah when we're in our pits, they're horrible. We would say like David in Psalms 40, they're horrible. In Jeremiah's pit, there was no water. There was thirst. There was hunger. There was loneliness. And there was the stench of being buried up to his, possibly up to his waist in this thick mire. We don't know how long Jeremiah was in the bottom of this pit. But it doesn't take a lot of imagination to figure out that this is a horrible place to be. Sometimes when we watch Christians go through some pits of life, you don't have to look very deeply into their situation to realize that is a horrible place for them to be. A difficult time of life and there's pain involved. But praise God, Jeremiah had a friend and a man named Abedmelech. Abedmelech was the man on the top side. The friend on the top. He was the friend that had a bird's eye view of the seriousness of the man's condition, Jeremiah. And he was a friend that was not going to rest or relax or lay down until he figured out how I can help Jeremiah and relieve him of his suffering. We'll see by the time that we get to Verse 11 of this chapter that this man of Bedmelech was going to go to extreme measures to free his friend Jeremiah from his horrible pit. It's been said that if a man dies and he only had five real friends in his lifetime, he died a very rich man. The more I live, the more I realize that if a man goes through this lifetime and has one true friend, he is a very rich Man indeed. Abedmelech proves his friendship. He proves to be that true friend. And he proves that Jeremiah is a very rich man. Jeremiah chapter 38 and verse number 7 through 9 says that he was moved into action when he saw his friend hurting. Now when Abedmelech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs, which was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon. The king then sitting in the gate of Benjamin, Ebedmelech went forth out of the king's house and spake to the king, saying, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon. And he is like to die for hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city." Now, when I read that passage of Scripture, it struck me that 
the word eunuch was buried in that verse. And so I underlined it and I highlighted it and I came back and studied that word just a little bit. And I began to realize as I studied Abedmelech and this word eunuch that he has gone through some hardships himself in life. The word eunuch means castrated one. And in an effort to protect his kingdom, the king castrated his servants. If anyone knew pain, it was Abedmelech. Abedmelech knew what it was like to be mistreated in life. As he was held down and he was stripped of his manhood, he would never have a wife, he would never have a family, he would never have children. What more horrible pit could a man be put in than to have his dignity, his pride, and his self-esteem, and his future, and his self-worth stripped from him in a moment of time? These are the things that we read over in scriptures and don't realize how God can use someone that's been hurt so bad to help someone else through their trials of life. It didn't hit me until this morning that isn't it amazing that Abedmelech went to the very man who spoke those words, castrate him. He went to the one that could help a friend named Jeremiah. And I'm just saying that to say this. Wasn't it awesome when I couldn't figure out life and why God was allowing pain and circumstances in my life. And it was almost like God had directed it and put it in my life. It wasn't until I went back to God and said, God, I need help. That the one that I was mad at, the one that I was frustrated at for ruining a situation in my life was the only one that could help me through that spot of life. And if we ever get beyond me and quit asking for me, God, me, 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 and we ever put our eyes on a Jeremiah, it'll even be better because then we go before the king and we say, God, I don't understand mine, but can you use mine to help that next guy in line that's in his pit? And God will move through that prayer just like that king and he'll say, yes. And you'll find yourself being a hurt, a broke a person that you thought would never heal being used by the mighty hand of God to go pull someone else out of their pit. God gave us a pit in life and God caused sometimes pits in our life. God brought it on us, not to hurt us, not to punish us, but to help someone else down the line because he needs an example of you and you and you and me to go the extra mile because we've been there. Find somebody that's going through it and say, God, I don't know how you got me through mine because I was so frustrated with you, but you did. Help me. Help them. Abedmelech lost a lot. He lost more than most of us will ever stand, understand that type of pain and that type of suffering. But I want to throw out a quote right here. It says, what the caterpillar calls... The end of his world, the master calls a butterfly. What the caterpillar thinks is the end. The master creator knows that when that cocoon opens back up, something beautiful is going to leave that place and fly out and be a blessing to the world. Bedmalek could have sunk in the self-pity pit. 
He could have gone the rest of his days moping around about his horrible situation. Instead of doing that, he turned some stinking rags into some strong rope in his life. I said pits are painful. If you've been through one, you may not grunt an amen this morning, but in your heart, you know pits are painful, and you'll have to say, I agree. They hurt. But to focus on the pain of the past will create a victim mentality, and it'll create a self-centered view if we're not careful. When the time comes in life when that pit becomes something that is past, and we can't get beyond that past event, then self-pity sets in. And I'll say this morning, the worst pit that any man or woman in this room can be in today is the pit of self-pity. It sucks you down like a black hole and consumes everything in your universe. I thought about this man, Abedmelech, in his horrible pit. And it made me realize another thing about the pits. Pits should create pitiful Christians. Pits should create pitiful Christians. I should entitle this message, What a Pitiful Man. And we would think about that. Yeah, his situation's pitiful. It's bad. It's dire. It's rough. It's, it's painful. No, 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 not for Abedmelech, because I'm looking at pitiful a little bit different than we always read it. I'm thinking pitiful. I'm thinking full of pity. I'm thinking God fueled up Abedmelech when he got over it. I'm thinking God did something in his heart uh, called compassion, called empathy. I'm thinking God wanted to fill him up with something that he could pour out on someone else. If he hadn't have been full of pity for others, he never would have saw Jeremiah in the pit and went after him. God filled him up with pity. And I think this morning it would do good if at the end of our situation and God begins us to bring it out of it, that we don't just self-heal and we don't just go through it quietly and we don't share our story and we don't just do everything where nobody else around us knows about it. God, it's amazing to me how you take somebody in life as a Christian today that's got it all going for them and all of a sudden they're that public person and they're going down fast because of the problems and circumstances around us. God can take someone that everybody knows and use a whole lot more through their situation than somebody that nobody knows. And maybe God's just wanting to do that with us today. And when we start to come out of it, it'd be good if we were full of pity, not self-pity, pity that could be shared on others. Job chapter 6 and verse number 14, the verse says, To him that is afflicted, the word afflicted means in pain from trials of life. To him that is afflicted, pity should be showed from his friend. You and I would do good today to say, God, give me that pity for that person that's going through a trial of life. If Abedmelech had not looked over into that pit and took it upon himself to be the one. Do you know of anybody else lined up here in this city that's going to come pull him out? I don't. I don't see their name there. I don't see friends lined up at the top of that pit. There was one man with one job that God had for him to do. And it took a pitiful situation for him to go through, I believe, to realize I can help somebody else. If I can survive that, I can help somebody else because they're in a similar state. Abedmelech moved with pity. And the word 
can also mean compassion for his friend. There's a scripture in the New Testament that says we ought to be, our bowels of compassion ought to move when our brother is in trouble. I could be a little bit vague here. You ever been going down the road, going to work or going wherever, and your stomach do a flip-flop? Y'all ever been there? You know you only got about three minutes to get to where you're going because something bad's fixing to happen. Come on. I know we're in church. Has that ever happened to anybody? Don't raise your hand. I'll be the one. I'll be the one. You know what happened? My bowel said it's time. I don't see anybody walking out yet. If anybody can mess up something, I can. Because that's why I read. Y'all want. Oh, sorry. That's why I. Look. That's why I read my message. If anybody ever asks me afterwards, why do you, why do you read your message? To keep from places like this, because this is bad. <laughs> Something uncontrollable is fixing to happen. I've done 115 miles an hour down toward Montgomery on the interstate to get to a Cracker Barrel. 115 miles per hour. She was with me. <laughs> it was her and I. She had a BMW. 520i, 530i, 530i, that means a bigger engine, I guess, I don't know, 115 miles an hour, something had to go, this is why I believe God said, you and I ought to have bowels of compassion, when was the last time I'm going down the road? When was the last time I'm going through life? When was the last time I was at church and saw that situation? And God moved on me so strong that I couldn't hold it back. I had to go and help and do and meet that need where it was right then. There's no time to wait. That situation is dire. If I don't move in and share my experience, if I don't move in and put my arm around that shoulder, if I don't move in and give that word of encouragement, What's going to happen to that individual that God called me because I've had a pit to go help them in their pit? Too many times we hold it back. We don't let God let that compassion flow through us. I, God wrote bowels of compassion, not me, okay? I don't know what else it means. <laughs> My 12th grade education, that's all I got, guys. I'm, I'm going to interject right here because it's only 11.35 and this is a short message. God can use me standing right here in this pulpit this morning, as dumb as I am. He can use every single person in this church to radically change this church. Jeremiah chapter 38 and verse number 10. Then the king commanded Abedmelech the Ethiopian, saying, Take from thence, take from hence. Thirty men would they. Thirty. Thirty men. Take up Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he died. So Abedmelech took the men with him. Went into the house of the king under the treasury and took thence old cast clouts. And old rotten rags and let them die down by cords into the dungeon to Jeremiah and Abedmelech the Ethiopian said unto Jeremiah put now these old cast clouts and rotten rags under thine armholes 
under the cords. And Jeremiah did so, so they drew up Jeremiah with cords. And they took him out of the dungeon. Scripture is littered with individuals who were stripped of all they held dear. They were stripped of what they held dear, and they were laid bare as individuals for the world to gaze on their pain. Joseph is one of those individuals that was stripped, beaten, sold, enslaved, lied about, imprisoned, forgotten. You talk about a stinking rotten life. His was it. But what did he do with those stinking rags that he was handed in place of that beautiful robe that had been stripped off of him? He made strong ropes with his situations. Because if you look at Genesis chapter 50 and verse number 20, when his brothers are standing before him starving and desperate and needy and their world is falling apart and now they're in a pit and they need to be pulled out, what does Joseph do? He takes stinking rotten situations and he makes strong rope out of Genesis 50 and verse number 20 says, But as for you, you thought it evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Listen, the world system is cruel. And if you and I think we're somehow special because we're children of God or that we're Christians and I'm living good enough, and I'm doing all the things right. I'm in my Bible in the morning. I'm praying. I'm at church. I'm in the choir. I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm everything that God would want a Christian to be. If you're somehow fooled into thinking that you won't get that call from the crew chief and pull you into the pit, you're misguided this morning. Because God needs people to help others. And God will call you and me and anyone else that can be a blessing to someone else. I want to share my friend April with you this morning. April was born with spina bifida, and she went through life paralyzed from the chest down. I met her over in Warm Springs back when Les Lamb was playing wheelchair basketball, and her and I just kind of fell in love with each other. She's a beautiful child, and I just love to being around her. Rather than complaining about how much her situation stunk, she figured out a way to turn her rotten rags into strong ropes. She made a life of helping others. She had the ability to overcome her painful past and learn how to share pity with every person that she ever met. I remember being in Warm Springs and she had three friends with her. They were not your typical looking young people. Each of them had their own abnormalities. She befriended those who were viewed by others as different. Birth had tried to strip her of her dignity, her pride, her self-esteem, her future, and her self-worth. Yet she turned those rags into strong ropes and pulled others out of pits. While returning from a wheelchair basketball game one Saturday, I got a phone call from one of the 
men that was working a wreck. He said, we don't know who the victims are. They're gone. They've burned. But there's a wheelchair. Would you happen to know anybody that has this type of car that would be in a wheelchair? I said, only one person. And it was April. April was gone that day. Just like that. I get a little emotional when I share that story because this world lost one of its most beautiful butterflies that day. When others would have lived a life in the pit of self-pity, April figured out a way to persevere and help others out of their pits. Pits are painful. Pits should create pitiful Christians like April who are full of pity for others, not themselves. And lastly, this morning I want to say that pits are not permanent. I'm reminded of both Joseph and Jesus and their example to all of us. Joseph was stripped naked of his garment that day. That beautiful piece of clothing that his father had gave him was shredded. Then it was stomped into the ground. And then an animal was killed and its blood thrown on that garment and sent back to the father and said, he's been torn to pieces. Joseph turned those stinking rags into strong ropes 21 years later and basically pulled the whole world from destruction with God's help because of the famine that was on the land. Not only did he just help his brothers. I think of Jesus who was stripped naked of his robe. They parted his garments. They laid him bare for all to see on Calvary's cross. Jesus would take those stinking rags and turn them into strong ropes. He pulled the thief out of his pit even from the cross. He pulled the captain from the pit, even from the cross. He pulled Nicodemus from the pit. He pulled the adulterous woman from the pit. And millions of untold millions he's pulled out of our horrible pits. What a Savior we serve today. Has life handed you something that stinks? A situation that has stripped you of some dignity or self-worth or or make, make, made you feel like you're left holding rags? You know that it's easier to pull someone in a pit than to pull them out. I only say that because I emphasize it took 30 men. It probably should only take three or four strong men to pull a man out of a pit with ropes. It took 30. I've learned in my life when I'm going through a pity party, I pull a lot more people down with me. then can pull me out. I thank God for people like Bryant Mayo. I sat on the second or third row right here in a pity party, one men's prayer meeting. Man, I was just gushing with pity. Oh, you talk about self-pity. I had it that day. All I wanted him to do was acknowledge and get down there with my pity party with me and make me feel good about my pitiful situation. No, Bryant wasn't in that mood that day. Bryant saw better. He saw me in a pit. And he wasn't getting down in that pit with me. He said, Paul, how are you going to pull others up from down there? You can't pull anybody up when you're down there. I couldn't. I could pull others in, but I couldn't pull them up. The only way I was ever going to be a help to somebody else in life was to get on topside and start looking down at other situations. 
gain some victories in my own life, then God would begin to use me. If you don't overcome what life has stripped you of, you're never going to be able to help someone else out of a pit. Ultimately, you'll constantly be pulling others down rather than pulling them out. You're one of two people this morning. I don't have the answers, but I do have some suggestions. You can't change the fact of what's happened to you in the past. Write it down and look at it as ugly as it is. You can't change it. You can't change that life isn't fair. But what you and I can do is accept it. It happened. Now, what do I do from here? I just had to figure out myself, go to therapy. Where? For me, it was Warren Springs. I had to go to Warren Springs. I had to get around people. I had to rub shoulders with people. I had to rub shoulders with parents that had good attitudes. I had to rub shoulders with families that had great attitudes. I had to get around people that smiled and loved life more than the average person loves life. I had to get around some disabled people to show me what life is really all about. And with the help of those people and being around those people, I began to be able to overcome some things in my own life. I went where they were. I saw a group of people that were living lives that would make you and I quit the first day. Yet they did it with a smile. They did it with dignity. They did it with pride. They were more satisfied with life raising a disabled child than we were with our beautiful, healthy children. I never heard one of those parents say, life stinks. No, they had turned their stinking, rotten situation in those rags into strong ropes, and they were pulling along others, even unawares. If I had not allowed that therapy to work in my life, then it would only mean that I didn't want out of my pit. If I didn't choose to use the ropes that others were throwing in me, then I would inevitably develop an inward look that pulled others in rather than pulling others out. Do you have a friend that needs some help today? Someone you know that's in a pit? Will you be in a bed malek and turn your stinking rags into strong ropes? It's just a thought. Tim, come on up and uh, play something on the piano, if you will. For the eunuch Abedmelech that may be in here this morning, who's been stripped, maybe even embarrassed by your situation, listen to what the Scripture has to say about eunuchs. Isaiah 56, in verse number 3, the back half of this verse says, Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. What, what, what the scripture is saying here is even though the eunuch has, feels like he's the least of the bunch, he's no more worthy to be called a man. He has no place in the world. He has no real place among friends because he's different now. Don't ever say that you're a dry tree, that you're washed up, that you're done. The situations come on us and we feel like because of X, Y, or Z. And I could list a dozen things this morning. But why? The Holy Spirit knows exactly what anybody's been through or gone through. And those things tend to alienate us as Christians. And we feel ashamed sometimes that we're going through that stretch of life. And others are watching us laid bare in front of everyone. 
like the eunuch. Don't say I'm a dry tree. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths, and choose the things that please me, and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Has God cut away something in your life that has changed you for the rest of your life? Myself, has God come in and cut away something in a way that I thought it didn't need to be cut away and taken something from me that I felt like was mine? And now you feel like you can't overcome it. God himself in his word, I believe, has a special place in heaven for you and I of what we feel like we lost, we gained so much more. I'm gonna finish with a letter this morning from Michael Jones that he wrote to my wife and I in August of 09. Michael Jones had a liver that needed to be transplanted. And he was in the hospital when he wrote this letter. He said, hello, Paul and Mandy and all my wonderful friends. As I read your letter on Jeremiah in the pit he was thrown in, it reminded me of the medical situation that God has put me in. I try to always have a positive attitude and make jokes about my current life. I also believe that a person's friendship with others makes us very rich in life. In my heart, I feel like a very rich man. God has laid this disease on my body for a reason. I don't know why I'm going through this, but I am comforted by the grace and mercy God has given to me freely. There are times when I forget just how much I am blessed. Everything you in the Rock Sunday School class have done for me and my family show, show me that I too have a way out of my pit. The rags have been replaced by individual acts of love. That when you look at them together, it is my rope out of my medical pit. I am humbled when I look at others. And he names two individuals that are going through some dark times in their life. That are facing medical problems much greater than I am. I am amazed at their positive attitude in life. They also are part of the rope that pulls me out of my pit on a daily basis. Unlike Jeremiah, my pit never seems to have a ledge to permanently climb out of. But that's all right with me. The problems that I face on a daily basis make me stronger in my faith with Jesus Christ. My faith in God and Jesus Christ and the wonderful acts of kindness from my friends lift me above my pit for the time being. The next operation, the next operation does not have very good odds of survival. They say the national average of success is about 40%. That is what the doctors have said. I say my God has his own success rate and it is whatever he commands it to be. I am selfish for wanting to have things my way. I know my home is in heaven, but I don't want to leave my wife and child. I've never known a love as strong as this. 
The fact is, I love God more. If not for Him, I would have never felt the love I do for my family and church. I don't know how Jeremiah felt while he was in his pit. I believe I know a little something about how he felt when he got out through the loving act of kindness by Abedmelech. I get to feel the love given freely to me and my family every day. What a gift. I get to thank God and thank Jesus Christ continually as I try to rise above my pit on a daily basis. I want to thank each and every one of you for the incredible acts of love you have given me and my family. The acts of love come from our Heavenly Father. Thank you for allowing me to learn to accept these gifts as a sign of love instead of thinking of me and my family as a burden. I can't wait to get back to church in my Sunday school class. Love in Christ, Michael Jones. Michael's in the balcony this morning and I used that with permission. 2009, Michael. Who'd he look to? A man laying in a hospital with a 40% survival rate. Who'd he look to? He named two men in the church that he was looking at during that. Said if it wasn't for those two men. Would to God everybody in here took it serious. Said God. Identify the Michael Jones in this building to me today. God, give me enough pity to look over the walls of that pit and look into the bottom and find that person that's hit rock bottom and they're hurt. Turn my rotten situation into something that is strong rope and help me to pull that person from that pit. I'm finished with that this morning. Brother Tim, if you'll sing a song, whatever's on your heart. The altar's open this morning. I don't have instructions. I don't have instructions. If you need a touch, come to the altar. If you want God to open your bowels of compassion and look out and see somebody needs help, come to the altar and ask God to help you. The altar's open.